1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, tonight we're going to get into a bunch of things. Uh, We're going to take a look at, this week has been National Police Week, and uh, I was not going to let the week finish without um, taking a a close look at that. And we're going to have some discussion on National Police Week as we are uh, a look at health and wellness, because you know what? Depression is on the rise, and this is... um, unfortunate. The other day we heard the Surgeon General saying that loneliness is now an epidemic in the United States. Well, U.S. depression rates have surged. Women and young adults have been hit the hardest. Uh, According to a new Gallup poll, they uh, asked 5,000 adults back in February, has a doctor or nurse ever told you that you have depression? And the other question they asked was, do you currently have or are currently being treated for depression? 29% 29 percent of the respondents reported being diagnosed with depression at some point in their life an increase of nearly 10 percentage points since 2015. I don't know if that sounds odd or not I think a lot of people suffer the loss of a loved one or something like that and um, you know some sort of traumatic loss in their life and go through depression and I think an uptick of 10 percent makes sense uh, for since 2015 that's you know eight years ago i'm I'm guessing uh, things would be worse now because we had this catastrophic worldwide epidemic known as a pandemic where a million people died. So, um, yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, maybe 10% is too high of a number. I don't know, but 17%, uh, almost 18%, 17.8% of those respondents said they have depression or are being treated for it. And that's up about seven points in the last eight years as well. So Gallup also noted that these rates are the highest rates recorded uh, since depression data was co- collected and since they started collecting this data in that poll by Gallup since 2015. So we're gonna get into that and health and wellness and fitness uh, because you know you gotta talk about those things. And uh, I know I need to hear those things so I can uh, maybe emulate them in my life. <laughs> I, I can use a little treadmill in my life. But, and despite having lost you know, I've probably lost about 60 pounds since um, 2017. And um, I still have uh, probably another 20 to go to be at the target weight, but I still need exercise, I think. And, you know, if I do drop another 20 pounds, then I might be inspired to, you know, maybe like get a six pack or something. Uh, Right now, all I can think of is a six pack of diet. I don't want to plug Pepsi, but that's that's my uh, drink of choice. (laughs) Diet Pepsi. Anyway, I want to go over some headlines with you guys. Um, The uh, state of Georgia, their district attorney, has announced that they are going to make a decision on whether or not they indict former President Trump. In August. So uh, I will be awaiting with bated breath for that one. Uh, Then um, McCarthy and Republican negotiators walked out of the debt ceiling talks with the White House because they were refusing to negotiate. So they said, we're going to take a pause. They've since resumed those talks. And they uh, have clearly um, reached a stalemate. I think they took a six-hour break uh, we have a cut from Kevin McCarthy that I want you to hear where he kind of breaks down exactly what's going on. Listen to this.
2: Well, we, we've got to get movement by the White House. And we don't have any movement. So, uh, yeah, we've got to pause. The, tone, the
3: tone seemed really optimistic yesterday, is it? Yeah, hard stuff's yesterday left? I really
2: felt we were at the location where I could see the path. The, the White House is just, look, we can't be spending more money next year. We have to spend less than we spent the
1: year before. It's pretty easy. McCarthy spells it out pretty simply. Says that we got to spend less than we did in the year before last, um, and uh, he's talking about you know we've got to get to pre-pandemic spending, right? Yeah, th- that's really all they're they're asking for here is to not have spending that includes the the end of the Trump administration, which was the end of 2020 when the pandemic was in full swing, and the beginning part of the Biden administration up until this last. Uh, massive spending plan that he passed, where you have these $6 trillion in spending. And they're saying, no, we're not doing that, and we've got to uh, put some spending caps on that. That's it. That's, in, in a nutshell, what they're asking for. And, of course, everybody else is flipping out. AOC is flipping out. Uh, Bernie Sanders is flipping out. I know we have some audio from those. I'll wait till I have a green light to play one of those. Uh, but um, I want you to listen to good old congresswoman aoc my least favorite congresswoman from the bronx and queens all out crazy complaining that we must institute the 14th amendment
3: the 14th amendment what's your your view
0: about that option i think the grounds for it are legitimate i think the president should absolutely have this on the table and i actually think that this is something that transcends ideology among democrats yeah We are seeing moderate and progressive Democrats alike coming together saying we should not be in this situation. The Constitution tells us that it is a violation to not honor our debts, period. And so this is not an area of political negotiation.
1: All right. So I don't know where to start with that one, but let's start with perhaps at the 14th Amendment says that the United States um, has to pay its bills, right, in effect. It also has commentary on, on the um, chain migration and all that, or that's where they derive the idea of chain migration, and that's debatable too. But ultimately here, the United States has always paid its bills and has never defaulted. So I don't understand how this this idea that we have to invoke or enact this 14th Amendment. The amendment is there. It's just like the Second Amendment or the First Amendment. This is not like the 25th Amendment that requires some sort of vote, right? This is this is there. We are called to pay our bills. That's it. So this default, this is exactly what they're trying to prevent, right? Congress is saying, please, Mr. President, don't default. Please honor the 14th Amendment. And this is the argument that I would pose to them and counter them with, saying that, you know, you're the ones that are asking to increase the debt limit. And if we don't increase the debt limit, you're threatening with default. So I think McCarthy's been pretty slick and smooth. Uh, and and he's been approaching this the right way in so much as putting it on Biden, because I think it is on Biden. But I think uh, he needs to continue to, to do that. And I, I'm not critiquing him. I think he's doing the right thing, walking away, taking a six hour break, saying, look, we're, we're going to get there. <laughs> we're going to get there, trust me. And, and I, I really appreciate appreciate that about him in so much as I don't have that level of patience. I wish I did. And I had that level of diplomacy about myself, but I don't. I know that I would eventually um, you know, lose my cool and, and either want to walk away forever. Like, and just be like, you know what, forever, do what you got to do. Let's see what happens. Um, I think he's being methodical in what he's doing. And uh, I hope it yields the results that we're looking for, which is Biden to capitulate and do the right thing. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think this crazy rhetoric of invoking the 14th Amendment, I don't see, um, you know, saying how we're going to enforce an amendment that I think is is already enforced it is going to do anything. I think this would uh, not make its way to the court. And if it did, to, and I'm talking about the Supreme Court, I, I don't think that there would be an impact. I, don't, I can't see you know, nine, five, four. I, I can't see any of these people in the Supreme Court saying, yeah, so these guys are not trying to pay their bills. That's not what they're doing. And when she says this is not a political negotiation, th- this is exactly what it is. The House is negotiating with the White House. That's, we do it on every budget, and we've been around for 246-plus years. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm seeing this the wrong way, but I think AOC is all-out crazy on this one. Anyway, we are going to get into National Police Week with Lieutenant Randy Sutton, plus uh, the crime that's plaguing cities, in particular Democrat-controlled or Democrat-run cities throughout America. And we're also going to talk about the uh, fitness issue that I told you about because depression is on the rise. And I also want to get into what's going on at the border, right? The border's been a mess. It remains a mess. And while they're trying to get a hold on things, I wanted to uh, check in uh, with with someone who's been on this program before, Victor Avila. He's a retired supervisory special agent uh, with ICE, and uh, he's going to weigh in on that um, in the second hour. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich
4: Valdez.
5: Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have—I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: So earlier this week, uh, President Biden abruptly canceled his speech honoring fallen police officers. Uh, A source at at Fox News um, was told that Biden allegedly pulled out of the event to attend his granddaughter's graduation. Now, obviously, um, this is not the most uh, police-friendly president we've had. And you would think that he would manage himself a little bit better. But he canceled his speech um, during National Police Week. Instead of uh, doing what he had to do, he... um, chose his family, which it seems to do quite often. Again, look, I'm a family man. I understand. But uh, I think he chooses his family in a different way. But anyway, that was what was going on. It's National Police Week. And, uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of the Boys in Blue. Uh, I've served as a volunteer cop uh, for a couple of years and did an abbreviated police academy myself. My brothers were on the job, NYPD, and one of them went on to become a federal agent and is still one today. And uh, I've got nothing but respect uh, for for law enforcement. Uh, but when they need to be called out, I call them out. And if you ever want to hear me be very critical of a cop, you can listen to my most recent podcast where uh, I ripped a new one on this cop who was very rude to somebody trying to rent a car <laughs> in Louisiana. This cop from Kenner, Louisiana, he was cursing at the guy. He's very short, very abrupt, just uh, lacked a lot of professionalism. But overall, I always back the blue. And uh, somebody else that backs the blue is Lieutenant Randy Sutton. And he is the founder of the organization. Give it to me one more time. The wounded blue Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Welcome, sir.
6: It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for your service. Thanks for being here. Happy police week to you. And uh, I want to get your reaction on this stuff. Uh, What do you think of Biden? uh, just bailing out on this. I mean, who does that really? Like, you know, like it's part of your job as president to show up to these things and you just bail out during national police week. What's up with that?
6: Well, let me, let me tell you this, that, um, when he was vice president, the president that he served under did exactly the same thing. President Obama didn't show uh. up for police week as well. So this was not a surprise. I can tell you that we were, all, we were making bets at police week, whether he would show up and, and the odds were that he would not. And he didn't disappoint us. He didn't show up. And, um, I got to tell you this, that, that nobody really missed him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I would think you would just go out of respect, something that, you know, many of us have, and I feel like he, th- this was a clear indication to me, He just didn't have a whole lot of respect to show up, which I thought was really not so cool. Now, overall, what's your sense, you know, you're, you're, uh, we're on the job and now you're still on the front lines with, with your organization and, uh, keeping up the speed of everything that's going on. What's your sense of, of where we are today, right? A couple of years back, we had the summer of love and it was horrible you know, what What they say? Fiery, but mostly peaceful. You know, we had riots all over the place and things are, are, in my opinion, they're, they're a little bit, mostly they're more peaceful now, right? They're less fiery, but I feel like we're not doing any better in a lot of our big cities. What say you?
6: No, you're a hundred percent right. Policing is in crisis and the crisis is on many, many fronts. Um, I talk about the war on cops, um, in, in many of my, my speeches around the country, I'm um, a national speaker on law enforcement topics and uh, written you know, a number of books. And I could tell you this, that law enforcement is in crisis right now and it is not getting better. And I do not see, unfortunately, I don't, I don't see um, much better on the horizon because of everything that is taking place within the, not, not just the, the law enforcement community itself, but the uh, continued attacks on law enforcement. So let's, let's, let's take this from a couple of different topics. Yeah. First of all, now, where we are right now, a police officer is being shot almost every single day. And you don't hear anything about this on the national media. Um, we put 247 names on the wall. I was in police. I was at police week in wa- in Washington a couple until a couple of days ago.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: I I watched as the names were unveiled, and um, we're not seeing a a um, light on the horizon when it comes to the violence towards police. We're seeing attacks. More, last year, more than 60,000 police officers were physically assaulted in the line of duty. Those assaults included shooting, stabbing, beating, throwing bricks, throwing rocks. And there's another statistic that you have not heard.
4: Hmm.
6: Our officers are being injured every single day. And, you know, my organization is the Wounded Blue, we are the National Assistance and Support Organization. For injured and disabled officers, so I live this reality every single day, Rich, and the and the um, the heartbreaking stories that are that are prevalent throughout the law enforcement community um, culminated with the with the, the with Police Week, where we honor the men and women who gave their lives in the line of duty. Um, I'm going to tell you about a, an incredible. Vision um, that took place there, and that was the candlelight vigil that took place at National Police Week. It was um, a sea of cops, all in their dress uniforms, about 30,000 of them, what? while they read the names of every single officer who gave their lives in the line of duty, and we held our candles up high as they read those names. And I I can't tell you what an inspiration that was to the entire law enforcement community, the honor that was bestowed upon those families who were there in attendance. They knew that their brothers and sisters cared so much for them that they traveled literally throughout the world. There were cops there from London, from Australia, uh, from all over the world that came to Washington, D.C. to pay homage to the sacrifice of the men and women who gave their lives in the line of duty, but we are not seeing anything from the United States government that will curtail this, this violence towards our law enforcement community.
1: Folks, let me remind you, we're on with uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. He's retired now, but he's founder of the Wounded Blue, the org. That's his organization. And uh, you, you've seen him on Fox News. You've heard him on this program. And we, uh, we're discussing National Police Week and and the the crime that doesn't seem to be uh, relenting, but seems to be increasing against police officers. Well, when we come back, I want to get your take on recruitment. And how that's been affected, because I know that's happening in a lot of places, as well as this is affecting businesses. A lot of businesses are shutting down operations in big Democrat cities because of these policies, these pro-crime progressive policies, and the prosecutors that match those policies that do nothing to keep people safe. Instead, they protect the criminals. So as we're coddling criminals, uh, we're going to continue that discussion with Lieutenant Randy Sutton coming straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we're coming right back.
0: Are you into weird, spooky and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us?
2: Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.
1: Welcome back. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to uh, the uh, FBI office in Queens, New York. Those guys are listeners to the show since I was on in New York back in the days. And a big shout-out to them, as well as the guys, the TSA guys that run the law enforcement uh, investigations at JFK Airport. Big shout-out to them. Of course, my brother, John Valdez, leads that team. So big shout-out to him for Police Week. And we're on with Lieutenant Randy Sutton. And I want to um, get your take on this, Lieutenant. With respect to recruitment, um, I'm sure you've heard, I've seen the articles, Uh, what's your reaction to how difficult it's been to recruit a a solid class in the last couple of years?
6: Well, this is part of the crisis that is facing law enforcement, recruitment and retention. Um, We're at the lowest level of retention of police officers in history. We're at the lowest level of recruitment in history. Um, there was, uh, just a few months ago, uh, there was a, um, announcement for a police test in St. Louis. Now St. Louis used to be, um, there were, there would be thousands of people that showed up for a police test in the city of St. Louis. Uh, not one person showed up. I want you to mm-hmm. think of that. Not one person showed up. Um, of course that was, uh, that's Kim Gardner's district. Where she was just uh <laughs> she, she <laughs> where, was just she,
1: um recalled right
6: no, she resigned, she resigned um, that was it. prior to her being removed um she is a george soros um linked yeah, she, prosecutor she's famous uh,
1: for um for all of these crazy um prosecutions
6: or, or lack of prosecutions.
1: Uh, she, right, right. The only, ones she did not, were, were questionable, and the ones she should have right. done, she didn't do.
6: Exactly, yeah. exactly. In, incompetent and also corrupt. Uh, corrupt in the sense that her activism um, destroyed her commitment to keeping anyone safe in St. Louis. So, but think of this. Now one person showed up for a police test where thousands used to show up. And we're seeing that across the country. Um, you know, I'm you know I'm a retired lieutenant from Las Vegas Metro PD, and Metro, uh, the, the the city of Las Vegas, had none of the insanity that we saw in San Francisco and Oakland and Los Angeles and New York during the George Floyd madness. But mm-hmm. still, um, we're fifty percent down in recruitment, and that tells you that across the nation this is this is a, 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 a really this is a, a dramatic change in what we have seen over the decades so I want you to think about this when you can't get enough qualified applicants to have an interest in one of the most important jobs in America what happens and what happens is they they uh, the cities Lower the requirements. They lower the standards. New York City just announced they're not even going to have a physical fitness part of the exam to become a cop. This
1: is madness, Rich. We're yeah, lowering although, the standards. As you're saying that, I'm thinking maybe, maybe I could try out now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's so, tough. And you know, the, the same thing's happening in the military. Which I, this is. I've, I've never seen this happen in my life. Right. I think every little kid. I know I was that little kid. I was like, I want to be a cop or little kids. I want to go to the Air Force. I want to be a soldier. And and it seems like that's no longer the case. Little kids are growing up to not love their country, to not want to serve. And we're seeing the effects of it right now. All right. Lieutenant Sutton. I stunned him with the brilliance of my bald head. We're, We're working on getting him back on the line. He dropped. That's the deep state at it like they always are. But it doesn't change the fact, right? And while we work on getting the lieutenant back, I'm going to share this story with you. Look at this one. Uh, this is a really good one. Listen to this. Hawaii Island Police Chief implements new recruiting efforts to fill 67 officer vacancies on the Big Island. So uh, they don't have a ton of cops on the Big Island, but they have 67 vacancies. Now, this goes right in line with what Lieutenant Sutton was talking about, where we're, we're facing a crisis of cops retiring sooner than they normally would and people just not becoming cops. So what happens when you're faced with the bad guy, you call nine one, one, and they just, you know, response times are now way longer. You're screwed. That's what happens. Lieutenant. Welcome back.
6: Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned that. I have a new book coming out in two months called rescuing nine one one, the fight for America's safety. And it's all about this very issue we're seeing we're seeing response times. Let's look at let's look at an example um, of a city, a failed city in Texas, of all places, the the city of Austin. Now, mostly in Texas, there's it's a it's a very strong, um, you know, law enforcement state. They have a great governor that that cares about their cops. Uh, But in Austin, there's a George Soros funded prosecutor. And the city has defunded the police to the point where there's an hour or more waiting time on a 911 call. It is madness. They are not prosec- the prosecutor. Of course, is a uh, like I said a Soros guy, and he's not prosecuting criminality. What he's doing is trying to prosecute police officers. the uh, the during the George Floyd riots, the Austin police were besieged by a mob throwing uh, explosives, bottles, rocks and they defended themselves and those who defended themselves with with low lethality munitions 19 of them have just been indicted
4: wow. by
1: now are we talking about like rubber bullets or pepper balls yes. or what
6: yes both both and tear gas yeah and I so that too. so they yes exactly they were f- literally Thousands of people are marching upon them, attacking them. They defend themselves, and 19 of them are facing indictments for felony crimes. He's not, he didn't indict any of, of the pro, uh, protesters. He didn't indict any of the rioters, but he indicted the police officers. So when cops around the country see what is happening, why would they want to remain police officers? So we're seeing the, the, the exodus of cops throughout the country, and at the same time, when, when recruitment efforts are failing, and then cities are then um, desperate to put people in uniform, and they are diminishing the standards to hire these men and women, which is, which is one of the worst things that you could possibly do because when you diminish the standards, you hire people that should not be cops. And we are seeing, we are seeing cities that are now um, accepting people, applicants who have
1: criminal records, rich
6: (laughs) criminal (laughs) records.
1: I didn't know about that one. That's crazy. It's madness. It's madness. And so,
6: and, and that affects the, the um, uh, morale of cops across the country you know there's a huge amount of pride being a police officer the men and women who are serving right now have a a, a a huge amount of pride in what they do because they are standing the line they are literally putting their lives on the line for the cities that they serve and the and the you know what, it, what is not being told the the untold story is that in communities of color around the country, it is the police officers who are protecting those communities. And those communities want their cops there. They want their police there. But the politicians who are running these cities are playing with the lives of their communities for political purposes. And it is LT. literally destroying the lives of the people in the city.
1: right. Stand by. We're going to take a quick pause here. When we come back, I want to get your reaction to this uh, AI making an accidental identification. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. But uh, we're on with Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Uh, He's the founder of the Wounded Blue, uh, retired from, from Vegas Metro, and we're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, this is night. This is Rich Valdez.
1: All right, it's National Police Week. Big shout out to my nephew, Don Valdez. He's, uh, he's uh, NYPD over in Coney Island. Big shout out to him. And our guest is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, retired Vegas Metro. We're talking about Police Week. We're talking about crime. And right now we're talking about how AI is taking over everything in every walk of life, but in law enforcement, um, it's used for facial recognition technology, and I'm looking at a story here in Yahoo LT, listen to this, Detroit man spends 30 hours in jail after AI technology misidentifies him in a criminal case, and the guy says he was arrested for no reason, now this guy was there um, for 30 hours, I, I, I've never been in jail for, for any amount of time, <laughs> and let alone 30 hours, I'd freak out. Um, I can't imagine, um, anybody would want to be there, but that's what happened to him. And what's your take on, on the use of AI in, in law enforcement?
6: Okay. So there's a, there's a, a lot to this story. And yeah, when it comes good. down Break to down. this, this particular guy, um, was a complete innocent and facial recognition technology, um, identified him. Here's the, the story is that there was um, a, um, a larceny that took place theft of some uh, very, very expensive watches a couple of years ago and surveillance video captured the face of the, uh, the culprit. Well, a couple of years later, as, as these advances in technology have taken place, the Detroit police department utilized a database that, um, and, and, and put this image into the database. And it spit out this guy's name and said, "Okay." And by the way, these images that are in these private databases that that are now being utilized by law enforcement for facial recognition are—they're um, taken from social media. They're taken from all kinds of of different you know areas that you have—you don't even know that your image is being uh, is being captured. So sounds like China, this guy's, this guy comes, yeah, Yeah. right. This guy, <laughs> his name gets spit out and this is where the failure of law enforcement took place. There is no in, in, in the court system, in, in the justice system, it is not probable cause to be identified by, um, facial recognition.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Exactly. It's not probable cause you, what, what it, it's a tool. Right? It's a it's an investigative tool that is really useful when it's utilized properly, but that, then it comes down to the investigators that are given this name, and then you have to put a case together. You have to do your detective work, and you have to put together uh, an affidavit that says to a judge, "Here's my probable cause to arrest this man," and if and you cannot utilize the, the simple identification by um, by, by AI and by, you know, facial recognition. So the failure was that, um, I, and I have not seen the affidavit, but whatever affidavit was put together did not simply was inadequate because it, I, it, 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 they arrested the wrong guy and that's a failure of policing. And that is, you know, when we talk about, you know as you mentioned at the at the beginning of the show, we have to accept responsibilities for our successes, but also for our failures mm-hmm. and it's and while while facial recognition is um, really a great tool when it's utilized properly it is you have to utilize your um, investigative work in order to develop. The 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 true case against an individual, you cannot trust it, because it it is it, it is simply a tool. It is not something that you can take for gospel. Oh, really? That's the guy? Mm-mm. No, because it is still uh, a new technology.
1: All right. Well, Lt. Let everybody know um, where they could keep up to speed with what you're doing. Uh, with the Wounded Blue. And I just want to let you know when, once the book is out on opening day or the, maybe the night before opening day for pre order sales, uh, we'll try and have you back on to do some promo on the book. Uh, it sounds like a really interesting topic.
6: I appreciate that. And the Wounded Blue is the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers. And it is the thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. And if you are a police officer listening to this and you are struggling, The Wounded Blue wants you to know you are never forgotten. and You are never alone. You just need to reach out to
1: us. Outstanding. Sir, always a pleasure. Uh, Insightful as always. Keep up the great work. Thanks for your service and have a great rest of Police Weekend. Police Weekend. I just made that one up. Good. Good, (laughs) Good to be here. Thanks, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and a couple of other topics. i got a lot to discuss. There's going to be a lot of hit and run tonight, kind of touching on a few topics and moving on, just because there's a lot of things that I want to talk about. And it's only a three-hour show, folks. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Uh, 833-482-5337, 8334-Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America
1: at Night with Rich Valdez. So we're back. Our phone number again, 833-482-5337. 833-482-5337. The topic right now, National Police Week, uh, we also talked about McCarthy and the, the debt limit. And I'm um, interested in in having that conversation with you if you want to give us a call. Uh, but I wanted to also bring your attention to a a montage. we got a minute-long montage of audio of individuals uh, in the Democrat Party <clears throat> who are literally saying, you know, who will clean and cook food if we don't have illegal aliens? And I think this is largely a, a very problematic take to have, because I think as a kid, I worked in the kitchen of a Dunkin' Donuts, started at 15. And I remember I didn't like that job at all, (laughs) you know, but I liked the fact that they let me work Thursday and Friday, actually Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And in that shift or that weekend, I would make about $300. And so that was $1,200 a month. When I was 15, I thought I was a millionaire because I was able to work all those back-to-back shifts like that. And uh, it was grimy. You know, I mean, you had to wear these, like, rubberized shoes because there was a slush of donut stuff and dough and food and water from the kitchen that would get—the drain would get clogged. And it was gross. Um, And I didn't like it. But I did it. And I did it when I was 15 and 16. And— I think back to that. That wasn't that long ago, 30 years. And now we have this idea that nobody else is going to do it. I mean, why? I did it when I was 15. Well, why wouldn't some other kid that's 15 that wants to pair of, buy a pair of Jordans do that? Right? Or, you know, take his girlfriend out on a nice date. Nicer than McDonald's. Because that's what I did, right? I bought stuff. I liked Ralph Lauren polo gear. I buy some new stuff. I went to Macy's every week my paycheck, and I blew it. I saved some and I blew the rest. So I'm just wondering, like, I- I- am I wrong here? Am I the only kid in America that wanted to work and buy nice clothes and save up for a car when I was a teenager? Of course not. But that's where we are. So when we come back, you're going to hear this minute-long clip of Democrats saying, who's going to cook and clean and do all of this work without illegal aliens? And we're also going to hear from Governor Greg Abbott at his press conference in Brownsville today saying that he's working on new laws to make it a felony to cross into America illegally. And of course, by America, he means the state of Texas where he's governor. So we're going to do all of that. Plus, we're going to connect uh, with our guest, Victor Avila. Now, Victor Avila is a retired ICE special agent, supervisory special special agent. And he's uh, from El Paso. He's a native of El Paso. And he survived an ambush attack by the cartel back in 2011 and he's shared that with us on the air but we're gonna get his um take on what's going on since this uh end of title 42 as well so don't go anywhere we're just getting started hour two is starting straight ahead 8334 valdez we'll be right back Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here with you guys, and uh, I want to welcome you to the program. Here's the number if you want to join the show, feel free to do so, 833 482 valdez and you can always chime in online, drop a comment, and leave your opinion at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Now, so a couple of qu- headlines that I want to get to. These headlines uh, are interesting. Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House McCarthy, and President Biden were in negotiations. They stopped. McCarthy walked away, took his team of negotiators with him, said, that's it, we're taking a break. They took a break for six hours, and I think now they're back at it again. So uh, we'll keep you up to speed on what's going on with that. Uh, a couple of days ago, it was reported that Bud Lights, their sales have continued to plummet with a 24% drop in the latest week since the uh, Dylan Mulvaney disaster. So uh, Bud Light continue the bleeding continues. Then, this is an interesting one, and I did a whole podcast segment on this, on This Is America with Rich Valdez. If you haven't subscribed to that podcast, please do. Uh, It's our shorter one-hour podcast, all commentary. Don't really do any interviews there. And um, keep it to the point on a few different topics that we didn't get to on the show. And uh, Spirit Airlines asked a family, an American family from Puerto Rico, to show their passports and then denied them <laughs> their flight <laughs> because they were Americans and weren't traveling with a passport to travel in the United States. It's the craziest thing ever. Uh, it, it's not just the cop in Louisiana and the, um, the uh, young woman working at the Hertz rental location that don't know that Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. But apparently... Uh, Spirit Airlines doesn't know either. So shame on you, Spirit Airlines. We need to do better. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, oh, this is a great one right here. So the the, um, the Russians have banned Americans from entering Russia. Listen to who are, who's on this list, right? Hundreds of U.S. citizens have been banned. Former President Barack Obama, Rachel Maddow, Stephen Colbert are just some of them. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not on the list, but shoot, wouldn't make a difference. I'm not going to Russia anytime soon. Uh, let's see one, one more before we jump into this. The um, border patrol have arrested now 16 people that were on the FBI terror watch list uh, as of um, April. So that's what's happening at the southern border. Now the southern border has been. Uh, it's been a mess for a while, right? There's a lot going on there today. uh, Some agents took fire while trying to rescue a four-year-old that was thrown over the fence. And when they went to go rescue the kid that was abandoned and injured as he fell over the fence, they, they started shooting at the border patrol agents. I mean, what's happening at the border is, is a nightmare. And somebody that understands that nightmare all too well is, the author of the book, Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. And of course that's Victor Avila. He's been on this show before telling his story of how he was ambushed back in 2011 by uh, cartel members. And uh, he's back with us tonight to discuss what's going on at the border. Victor Avila, former ICE supervisory special agent, welcome.
8: Thank you, Rich, great to be with you again.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. So let's uh, dig in. You know, what's your, you know, your buddies, your your pals, maybe guys you used to work with, what you're seeing? I know you're a native El Pasoan. Uh, wh- what are you seeing? I-, I can tell you what I saw. You know, and again, I'm not there, but I saw videos, uh, f- I think starting Monday or even last Friday, uh, of, it looked like parades. It almost looked like the running of the bulls in Spain, where there's hundreds of people running across through the, s- the middle of the street that was what it looked like, uh, in El Paso. Was it really like that for you?
8: It was. And I was actually all, all last week and a half. I was in El Paso, um, for several reasons. One to see, uh, what was going on because there was about 2,500 illegals around the church seeking sanctuary. And I went and shot a lot of video there. And it's something that I had never seen in my life. Like you said, I'm born and raised there. And wow.
1: Yeah, well, you're born and raised there, and you also were a special agent with ICE. So, I mean, if that's you haven't seen ever. this in your lifetime,
8: <laughs> uh, uh, we definitely ever. haven't seen it. That's that's for sure. Uh, not not in my personal life or my professional life, and either most of the agents working today. This is uh, unprecedented what we're seeing, and then we were all waiting for Title 42 to be lifted. You know, and I have a lot of a lot of uh, thoughts on the Title 42 because I, I kind of knew that we were gonna have a different kind of surge, but not the one that a lot of people expected because Title 42 had been in effect for the last two and a half years. And we still have um, allowed about 7 million illegal aliens in. And so uh, when they lifted, I'm like, well, what's gonna be the difference if, if it wasn't being enforced uh, and it's not going to exist anymore. So what are you going to enforce? They're going to go back and actually enforce immigration law. You probably heard Title 8 been thrown out there. Oh, yeah. Title 8 is going to kick in. Well, it doesn't kick in. That is the law. Right, <laughs> It's, it's always changed. been in. <laughs> right. The enforcement of it is what was going to kick in. But then something very awkward is the groups didn't rush over. We were waiting there in El Paso. The gates were open from the wall, which is another irony. We have this big wall. Um, and then they opened gate 40 and 42. We were all standing there, a lot of media, and it never came through. Well, the uh, Biden administration, the Department of Homeland Security, what they did is they kept the people on the other side of the wall, and they started sending the buses over, loading them up under the cover of darkness, and then sending them to very different places, one to the port of entry, so they could come in through a port of entry, and they marked them as legal and not counting them as illegal, which immediately dropped the numbers. And right, so you're no
1: longer a, a gotaway them. if if we put you on our bus and we we bring you in ourselves.
8: That's right, and so the, that's the first thing they reported on Sunday. Oh, look, the numbers dropped uh, significantly because of Title 42. That's not true. The the people are still coming over. Uh, in And on the other side, in, uh, all the way down in Brownsville, down south, uh, there was a period of time, maybe about a day and a half or two, where – Texas officials, DPS troopers, and, and the Texas Guard did keep them from coming up from the river, but that didn't last very long. What they did is, you understand the cartels are the ones that control all that. Right. And they said, all right, you're not going to let them up through here? We'll send them through Eagle Pass. We'll, we'll find another spot and bring them up through there. So you see them arriving in New York, in Chicago, in Denver, and Denver, and in every corner of our country. They're going to continue to arrive. And I've been talking about this for years, about the impact that these communities are going to have, and the impact is already here in the school systems, in the healthcare systems, and of course, the criminal justice system, and a lot of health issues. Let me tell you, uh, Rich, a lot of health issues. There was an outbreak of uh, tuberculosis and chickenpox, lice, babies, flesh-eating bacteria, chlamydia, syphilis. I mean, the list goes on and on, and you're thinking, wait a minute, they're allowing them to board airplanes as well, commercial airlines, I've flown with many of them, and and buses, commercial buses as well. Every single mode of transportation is being used to get them to their final destination. But somehow the American people are not accounted for that. We don't count. We don't care. It doesn't matter to this administration. It's the illegals first. We'll kick people and veterans out of hotels to make room for them that they just came to this country with really a lot of issues and, um, a lot of problems because they come from broken countries. And all of a sudden, the burden has been placed on the United States to do something about it. I want to shift that burden back to these countries and say, you need to do something about taking care of your own citizens.
1: 100% right. Victor Avila, retired ICE supervisory special agent. Uh, He's the author of Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. We're coming right back to him. And, Victor, uh, you mentioned uh, about Brownsville, and I know Governor Abbott was down in Brownsville and using Texas DPS to close some of these gates. Uh, I saw some video that the the National Guard, Biden's people were opening the fence. People were coming through. The Texas Guard was uh, DPS rather was going and closing the fence and blocking it with their SUVs. Uh, very, just very contentious situation down at the border. And uh, we have a clip from uh, Governor Abbott uh, about a minute long. When we come back, we're going to play that, and I want to get your reaction. So, folks, stick around, and your calls are welcome as well. 833-482-5337, 4 valdez
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
2: I'm working on new laws as we come to a close of this Legislative session that will provide us even more tools. One is we are seeking to make it a felony for anybody to cross into the state of Texas illegally. So in addition to what we currently have in place, we would also be able to begin arresting people for crossing into our state illegally and put them behind bars for a very long time. We also want to make it a felony uh, for anybody operating a stash house. When people come across the border between ports of entry, typically one of the first places they go to is to a stash house. And we want to be more effective in shutting those downs. And then the last new law is something that I find the most reprehensible thing that I've seen as governor. And that is our fellow Texans are actually providing aid and assistance to the drug cartels across the border by picking up people who came across the border illegally and assisting and smuggling them illegally in the state of Texas. And we need to shut that down. And so we are seeking a law to create a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years behind bars for anyone caught smuggling people illegally in the state of Texas.
1: All right. That's Texas governor, Greg Abbott, uh, announcing he wants to create a law where it's a felony to enter Texas illegally. Um, I'm glad he's trying it. Uh, It sounds like out-of-the-box thinking. I don't know if if it's going to happen, if it's going to even happen fast enough. Uh, But our guest, Victor Avila, he's a retired ICE supervisory special agent. He's been down at the border. He's the author of the book, Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. This is the story where him and his partner, James Zapata, were... I ambushed by cartel members and and thank God he's alive to tell the story today. Victor Avila, what do you think about um what Governor Abbott is announcing here?
5: Uh, I'll
8: tell you and I have a mixed feelings about it. One is I agree with the laws, I, they're great, but uh one of the things is enforcement of the laws. The, the the one I really agree with is the last one is that we've been seeing people from all over the country come down to the border. And, you know, they hear the money, the money's flowing down here from the cartels, billions of dollars. So they're like, uh, you're going to get paid $2,000, $1,500, whatever they're going to pay to either pick up a group of aliens and drive them to a stash house or from a stash house to the more interior part of Texas or, or a different part of the U.S. And, and what happens with that, is we've seen a lot is what we call, uh, you know, a lot of rollovers or bailouts where uh, our DPS troopers chase them. They don't yield. They don't stop. And we have death occurring because of a lot of crashes. That, that's a good one. That, that'll really keep people from coming down and doing that. The others, um, you know, they made it a, a misdemeanor, a criminal trespass just disdeme- a misdemeanor for, for those crossing over. But it, there's a lot of logistical issues here that I want people to understand. It sounds great, um, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath. I'll put it to you that way. It, it, we, mm-hmm. There's there's no space to put them. Uh, right. tens of thousands people coming over. Where are you going to house them? We need courts, we need judges, we need attorneys. We need a whole other system of people just to deal with that alone. Remember, we still have another criminal justice going on system here in Texas with all the other issues that we have. So um, it sounds good. Um, um, I'm not going to hold my breath because he he talked about the declaration of invasion back on November 15th of last year. He declared an invasion but didn't do anything about it and i went down immediately to the border uh, and thinking okay the declaration of invasion gives the state uh, to adopt the authority from the federal government meaning you get to repel the, right. the people coming from the river and that just did not happen now you see all these national guard down there you see dps troopers and sheriffs and they're not holding the line and so by the time David, they're already on the state of Texas, then you see all the activity, the smuggling, the trafficking, the stash houses, the right. drugs, the about. weapons, mm-hmm. the money. But they're already here. And and so Operation Lone Star, what uh, the, the uh, governor is talking about, it's a good law enforcement uh, action and enforcement, but it's not border security. Border security is down at the border. It, yes, it should belong to border authorities like Border Patrol. We know that's right. not going to happen under this administration, but I'd rather see Um, more the enforcement down there to really make an impact. What you need to do is send a message to the rest of the world saying, listen, you're not going to be allowed in. You're going to be placed in detention for violating immigration law. You're not going to be allowed in under this catch and release uh, program and, and policy under this administration. And that's the message that needs to be sent. But the message right now and every every illegal on their phone is like, come on over. Let me get my cousin. Let me get my friend. Let me because they're they're already here. And the message to them is come on over because they're letting you in. Now, what you're going to see, Rich, a lot in the mainstream media is, um, oh, look, there's a plane full of Guatemalans that they, re- that they uh, deported. And yes, they are going to send people back and they're going to repel them back. And people are going to see that. They're going to blast that everywhere. Yeah. And, but deporting 5,000 and allowing a million in is not, it's not the answer.
1: This is just like Majorca saying uh, the numbers are down by 50 percent. It's like a shell game. It's political sleight of hand. It's like me saying I'm no longer eating McDonald's cheeseburgers. And that's because I'm eating White Castle, right? <laughs> it's a, a, a distinction without a difference.
8: Well, and, and, and I, I've been using this example. I just thought about this. And I said it's like the, the mayor of the city told the chief of police to tell his patrol officers to stop enforcing drug, uh, DWI law. or or DUIs uh -hmm. you will be able to pull them over you will be able to document that they were drunk but then you're going to have to let them go well if you leave if you let seven million drunk people go around crazy well something's going to happen people are going to die people are going to crash there's going to be accidents well the same thing is happening here it's a complete uh disregard for our existing law i mean the the u.s house of representatives last week passed the border security act and and i read that bill and i the original bill from uh uh, Congressman Chip Roy was the original H.R. 29, that some of it was absorbed into this H.R. 2. And I said, okay, yeah, well, HR it's a good two. start. It's a good but we have, we're, we're at, a, at a point in our country that we're having to pass laws to enforce the existing laws. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, how do we fix that? What do you got to do, run for Congress?
8: Uh, maybe, and that's, what, and that's what I'm doing because uh, I've, uh, I go around the country and I've been doing you know, public speaking for the last several years and I share, uh, I, I stay on top of the border on a daily basis. And uh, you should see the videos that I get from the cartel violence and, and everything else that continues to happen in Mexico. But that affects us, the, the mass, the fentanyl, all that. And, and I, know, I know border security. Uh, I'm a subject matter expert in, in human trafficking. But I also have the experience in Mexico and Europe and in Washington as a, as a U.S. diplomat that I, I have the skills to negotiate here. But for the people. And I want to do something that uh, should be, you know, done originally. We're supposed to be a representative of the people and for the people. And I want to give that power back to them and do what they want, not what the representative wants or the party wants or the special interest. It's to take care of U.S. citizens first. I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, um, We're at a point where we must take care of our citizens first. I'm okay with helping others, but we're at a point where we are. America first. America first we're suffering um, a lot of crime we're suffering with all the the uh, services that we're having to provide a lot of these small towns are highly affected forget the sheriffs I mean the sheriffs are oh, I bet. Uh, over and uh, they're overwhelmed the ranchers they've been abandoned and uh, a lot of stuff that 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 yeah. they feed us the cattle they've been they, they just they want attention they want help and I want to give it to them in, in District 23 in Texas
1: well, let everybody know your website so they can learn more about your campaign for Congress.
8: Yeah, please follow me at VictorAvilaForCongress.com, F-O-R, VictorAvilaForCongress.com. F-O-R, Victor and uh, I uh, welcome any of your support because I know that way we defend Texas down there in, in District 23. Outstanding.
1: VictorAvilaForCongress.com. We're coming straight back. Thanks for being with us, Victor. Hope to have you back soon.
3: Rich Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to him.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. And our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez. There's a lot of things going on, and one of the uh, things that comes to mind is something I brought up a little while ago. Uh, The number of or the rate, I should say, of depression in the United States is surging, in particular amongst women and then in young adults uh, primarily. And that's according to a new Gallup poll of 5,000 adults that were asked if a doctor or nurse had ever uh, told them that they had depression or, if they, or asked if they were being treated for depression. Now, this comes on the heels of news that we heard the United States Surgeon General saying that there is a pandemic now, or an epidemic, of loneliness in this country that resulted from the pandemic. And it seems to me one of the the go-to cures to this is being fit and being <clears throat> healthy. And uh, it seems like that's where the problem resides, right? That's why obesity is on the rise, diabetes, all these other things. And while people need to get out and move a lot more, they're not. <laughs> And, and I think this is a topic that we need to talk about. So I wanted to invite uh, Juliet Starrett. She is uh, an attorney and an entrepreneur, uh, an author, and a podcaster. She's the co-founder and CEO of The Ready State and San Francisco CrossFit. She also wrote the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Deskbound, and was a professional whitewater paddler, winning three world championships and five national titles. Juliette Starrett, welcome.
7: Thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure. So let's talk uh, about how you feel about this news that I was just talking about with uh, depression rates being on the rise. Does it surprise you or do you think it's right in sync with where we are as a, as a nation?
7: You know, it actually doesn't surprise me at all. And is actually one of the reasons my husband and I endeavored to write this book, Built to Move, is that, you know, even though we are firmly in the health, fitness and wellness business During the pandemic, we really had some time to reflect about how we're actually doing as an industry, and we saw the same data that you're reporting here, which is that every metric of health that we care about, from diabetes to obesity to depression, loneliness, social isolation, you name it, is on the rise, and obviously the pandemic really exacerbated those issues, but, you know, we felt like maybe we could have something to contribute to this conversation and help people, um, you know, try to figure out ways to, you know, feel better in their bodies and have it be super accessible and relatable.
1: Yeah. And again, um, and forgive me for not mentioning the title of the book, but the uh, New York times bestseller built to move the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. And I think it's important that you give these 10 essential habits to the audience because um, I think we're all wondering what it is. And, of course, everybody who's interested should pick up a copy. Or I always say two copies of the book, one for yourself, one to give to somebody who could benefit from it. Uh, But let's talk about those 10 essential habits and, and why it's so important to remember that we are built to move.
7: Sure. If I could, you know, sort of divide the book into two parts. Five of sure. the tests we have in the book relate to how you are able to move through your environment. And the other five are more what I would describe as lifestyle or behavioral. Uh, vibe, and we use the word vital signs to describe these tests. And when it comes to the movement vital signs, these may be the things that people are the most surprised by and have never heard before. And you know, one of the things we've been doing in our regular professional life outside of writing this book is trying to teach people how to take care of their own bodies so that they can move freely and hopefully without pain. And most importantly, be able to do the things they want to do physically with their body. And so what we are trying to do in this book is give people a set of objective measures. And we really carefully decided to use the word vital signs, especially after the pandemic, when we saw that everybody got pretty comfortable sort of measuring some pretty critical vital signs in their own homes to figure out if they had COVID or not, we thought, you know, if people can measure their SAO2 and their resting heart rate and are pretty comfortable with vital signs like blood pressure, why aren't there vital signs that tell us whether or not we're sleeping enough, whether we're eating the right foods, whether we're we have the requisite range of motion in our body to be able to do the things we want to do physically, both now and as we continue to age. And so You know, I could go into detail about each one of the vital signs, but I'll just start with a 30,000 foot view that there are some movement vital signs and some sort of behavioral vital signs. And one of the key things we try to do with these vital signs is make them relatable and accessible. One of our criticisms of our own industry is that we, in many ways, have lost the narrative and left people behind by overcomplicating what it means to be healthy and fit. And we haven't brought enough people under this umbrella of health and fitness and wellness in a relatable and accessible way. So we thought everybody could really use a set of objective measures that they can do in their own home, maybe even test themselves a few times a year, almost as though you're doing an at-home physical. And it would give people some benchmarks upon which they could take action to improve their own health. And what are they? So I'll, I'll start with one of the first ones. It's called the sit and rise test. And it's based on a 2017 study done out of Brazil, which showed that uh, the inability to get up and down off the floor is is associated with living a shorter life. And the other, the other thing we know and the reason we wanted to open with this book is that the number one reason people end up at a nursing home is that they cannot get up and down off the floor. And wow. so what we like about the sit and rise test is – First of all, it's accessible. You can do it on your living room floor. And it just requires you to actually cross your legs and lower yourself to the floor, ideally without putting a knee or hand down, and then actually try to stand back up without putting a knee or hand down. And if you need to put one knee or one hand down, that's fine. It just gives you some very basic information about whether or not your hips are doing the things they're supposed to be doing, and whether you're able to move freely through your environment. And the other thing we love about this test and why we wanted to open our book with it is the way to get better at this test isn't to do some correlate of movement. The way to get better at this test is just to actually practice more often getting up and down off the ground and then sitting on the ground. We recommend 30 minutes a day. Doing something that we know people are already doing, which is often watching TV or reading a book or listening to a podcast in the evening, and believe it or not, just by by way of sitting on the ground more often and practicing getting up on the ground off the ground, you can actually really improve at this test and actually be able to do it without putting a hand or a foot down. And you know, some people listening to this may wonder why they should care. Why should I care whether I can get up and down off the ground? But importantly, if you look at countries where people eat and sleep and even toilet on the ground, the incidence of orthopedic injury and things like hip replacements and knee replacements is much lower than it is in the United States. And in Mm. Japan, for example, the fall risk in the elderly is almost zero because they're getting up and down and actually practicing getting up and down off the ground as part of you know, their whole environment is set up to do that. So that's sort of one example of what the movement tests in this look in this book look like is, is your body able to move through its environment the way that it's supposed to do so that, you know, you can do things like protect yourself from falls both now and as you age.
1: Gotcha. Well, let me remind everybody uh, that we're talking about your book built to move the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. Uh, We're speaking with the author, Juliet Starrett, and uh, we're going to come right back to your calls and some of the other essential habits that are in the book. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, we're discussing 10 simple habits to factory reset your body to move freely again. And we're discussing the book Built to Move, the 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully with the author Juliet Starrett. Juliet, I'm hoping we can cover about three of these um, wonderful and essential habits in this segment, uh, because I think this is just such excellent information that people, you know, I think we all know we have to get moving and we all know we need to do more, but we don't all know how to do it. And really, like you said, kind of take inventory of our current health.
7: Sure. I'll, I'll go ahead and start with one of the, my favorite habits of all, and I'm trying Mm -hmm. to be an evangelist of it. And that is adding more walking into our days. And so if I told you that there was a drug you could take that would reduce your risk of dying from all causes by 51%, you probably would take it, is my guess. Yeah. And it turns out that that drug is walking 8,000 steps a day, and it goes up to 65% reduction in dying from all causes if you walk 12,000 steps a day. Now, the research is showing that most Americans are walking between three and 5,000 steps a day, and that's much lower than most other Western countries and every other country around the world, in part because our environment is not set up to move as much as we need to during the day. And so we've become real evangelists of walking. And anybody who knows anything about our background knows that we are, of course, fans of formal exercise. We do it. We both have an athletic background. But what we've realized that is that walking is such an essential habit. And, you know, back to this original opener you had about the rates of depression and loneliness and anxiety Mm -hmm. being at a tip top in our country. One of the side benefits of walking is that it's something that we can do together in groups or with our partners. And it's often separate and apart from technology. It gives us an opportunity to interact with our neighbors, get some sunlight on our bodies, and you know, there are a myriad of other reasons. And the, the final thing I'll say about how important walking is, is that the research is starting to come out that that the difference that, that people who really don't ever struggle with their weight throughout their lives, the difference between those people and people who do struggle with their weight throughout their lives, it often actually isn't that one hour formal exercise they're doing. It's how much movement they're doing separate and apart from any kind of formal exercise. And that's really walking. So walking more and adding more walking into your life is really this magic pill that can extend your life, make you feel better in your body, gives you a chance to get sunlight, interact with your friends and neighbors, and... We really, uh, of all the things in this book, we are trying to be evangelists of walking. It's accessible. It's available to most people. And, you know, so that's one of the messages we're trying to get out. The other other habit that we talk about in this book is sleep. We consider Mm. sleep to be what we call a keystone habit. And by that, I mean it's a habit from which all other good habits flow and have a cascading effect. It turns out that people who sleep enough and sleep well are more likely to eat well. They're more likely to have the motivation the next day to wake up and move their bodies and even do formal exercise. Their relationships are better. They're less likely to be depressed and lonely. And And so we see sleeping to be this critical habit. And, you know, in this country, we've actually we, we've sent the wrong message that, you know, people should be proud of themselves if they've learned how to survive on four hours of sleep. But it mm-hmm. turns out the data is really not there to support that. The data shows that people, by and large, need seven to eight hours of sleep and really more like eight hours if they want to do things like lose weight or put on muscle mass or are post-surgical and trying to recover from surgery or you know, they're kids, there's this whole host of people who really fall into the eight hour window. And there's honestly not a lot of debate in the science whatsoever. There's a rare genetic genetic trait that 0.001% of our population has that can, those people can survive well on four hours of sleep, but it turns out nobody else can. And there's really no dispute in the mm-hmm. in the science universe about how much sleep we need. And the other, the other thing I'll say about sleep is that it turns out that we all normally lose almost up to an hour of sleep per night in waking up to use the bathroom and, and in these little wake cycles that we're often not even conscious of. So I would encourage everybody listening to this who wants to figure out ways to improve their sleep to make sure that if you're trying to get eight hours of sleep, you're actually laying in bed for nine hours and same if your goal is 7 hours of sleep that you actually need to be laying in bed for 8 hours to get that much sleep. You know, and the the third habit if I still have time, yeah, is we have we have a chapter about nutrition and our goal with nutrition is to we call it eating like you're going to live forever. We consider ourselves both to be survivors of diet culture and a mentality that, you know, food is food is meant to be restricted and that there are certain foods that are good or bad. And we put a label on foods and we're really trying to change the conversation around food. You know, human beings in our view do two things together. They eat together and they move together. And so one of the issues we've seen with our large scale diet culture is that it's, it's, you know, restricting so many foods has taken people away from this really important human need we have to eat together. And again, this cycles back to what we were talking about originally with loneliness and depression. You know, one of the ways we commune with other humans is by eating together. And if we become weird about our food and we can't eat dinner with our kids because we're following some strange diet, you know, that ultimately becomes a problem and can impact our mental health. But we recommend people do two things and have two considerations in their diet. Number one, that they eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables per day. And that's wide ranging and even includes things like beans and white potatoes. And people may think there's no way I could eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. But to give an example, that's actually four medium-sized apples is 800 grams. And, and the, the reason we chose 800 grams is, first of all, people, I think, know they need to eat fruits and vegetables, but nobody's told them how much and it turns out there's really good research to show that you get all the benefits from the fiber and all of the micronutrients at about 800 grams a day. And, so, so, and the other reason we love this recommendation is that it's the first time for many people that uh, some diet advice has actually been expansive versus restrictive. You can eat whatever you want underneath that window of fruits and vegetables. And if that means four apples for you today, that's great. And if that means a much more diverse number of fruits and vegetables, that's great too. And the second pillar of our nutrition recommendation is to make sure people are getting enough protein. And especially as we start to age and lose our muscle mass, it becomes even more critical. We, we recommend that people get 0.7 to 1 gram of protein per pound of body weight. And one of the reasons that we think this protein piece is so important is that it's eating enough protein actually is, is causes you to be very satiated and not as hungry. And you're less ah. likely to reach for chips and candy and all the things that people that. know they shouldn't be eating. And so it turns out if you eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables a day and meet your protein minimums, it is a lot of food. It's for many people, the first time an eating style or diet has been expansive versus restrictive. It allows you to eat food that fits within your cultural preferences and or your what dietary What I liked was, preferences. was what
1: you said, eat like you're going to live forever. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I think a lot of us eat a lot of junk because we're like, "Yeah, hey, I got to die of something or we're going to die sometime. And uh, I, I like the way it kind of changes your thinking there. And, again, everybody, we're on with uh, Juliet Starrett. She's uh, the author of the book um, Built to Move, The Ten Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. We're coming right back with her, and she's going to tell you exactly how to get the book. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, welcome back. We're about to wrap it up with Juliet Starrett. She's the author of the book Built to Move, the Ten Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. Juliet, let everybody know how they could follow you and where they can get the book.
7: Sure. You can go to uh, builttomove.com to to learn more about the book. It's also available at every major bookstore and on Amazon. And you can follow me on the social media at Juliet Surrett. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. I learned so much. And I hope to have you back soon because it was very, very informative. I love the, uh, the, the anecdote that you left me of eat like you're going to live forever. And I'm now challenging myself to to figure out how many steps a day I walk because 8,000 is a big number. But thank you as well for being with us. And, folks, we're going to jump into open phones. That's coming up in the next segment. So get your calls in now. You get them in early rather than late. This way uh, you get in and you're heard on open phone America. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdes. 833-4valdes is the phone number. Or at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you in this third hour of the program. Happy Friday. It's Open Phone America right here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere.
0: Hi there,
1: good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. It's the Friday night uh, edition of Open Phone America. You're welcome to join our national late-night town hall conversation. Give us a call, 833 482 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And I was looking at something earlier. I wanted to share this with you. This is uh, interesting to me. Uh, You know, I I keep this National Day calendar open to see, you know, what what national day it is today. Crazy stuff. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. National NASCAR Day. I didn't know there was such a thing, but it is. Uh, Let's see. May 19th. We also have National Pizza Party Day. This is the third Friday in May, May 19th. And we did not have a pizza party here, so uh, shame on us. What else was it? National Endangered Species Day.
5: Just a few. And
1: there's a few more, but I don't even know what this is. National Defense Transportation Day? I don't even know what that is. If you know you're an expert on National Defense Transportation Day, it's got a picture of a guy riding a bike with a red basket. I don't know what that has to do with National Defense Transportation. But... And those are the national days of today. Uh, Here's a headline from uh, Fox News. The FBI improperly used warrantless search powers more than, get this, drumroll, 278,000 times in 2021. Again, I'll read it to you again. The FBI improperly used warrantless search powers more than 278,000 times in 2021, according to FISA court filings. That's crazy. These queries targeted people uh, that involved January 6th and the George Floyd protests and uh, donors to a failed congressional candidate. Oh, look at that. So now they're going after donors. 278 illegal searches and they're going after donors of a congressional campaign. I know you want to hear about this. so I'm going to share it with you because I thought this is a very interesting story. Now, U.S. citizens covered In the uh, improper effort, because obviously the they were looking into the Capitol riot. So they said January 6th, they were looking into George Floyd protesters back in the summer of 2020. And these donors, um, none of these people were foreign people. Right. That's the point. This this is not you're not supposed to use the FISA court. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act covers the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. And you're not supposed to use that. When when you're going after Americans, right? We've had a whole discussion on this earlier this week that the standard is different. We discussed that with uh, Cash Patel earlier on Monday. So, Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act allows the government to conduct targeted surveillance of non-U.S. people located abroad to acquire uh, foreign intelligence information. When U.S. citizens are flagged as part of these investigations, the FBI takes over the process. Of querying them for possible security reasons, this court filing, which uh, was 127 lo- uh, pages long, was unsealed Friday by the f- uh, FISA court, but was filed back in April of 2022. Now, the um, if you thought that was bad enough, there's more. The director Ray, this is a quote in the article here now. Director Ray has made clear the errors described in the uh, FISA court opinion are completely unacceptable. A senior FBI official told Fox News Friday as a result uh, of the audits that revealed that these instances of noncompliance have caused the FBI to change their querying procedures to make sure that these errors don't happen again. Well, it's really nice to hear that, but you're only making these changes because you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Unbelievable. Uh, he finishes here with saying, these steps have led to significant improvement in the way we conduct queries of lawfully obtained Section 702 information. Now, listen, it makes all the sense in the world to me that people are now calling uh, for the impeachment of Christopher Ray. um of President Biden, of Mallorcas, because this is not acceptable. He's saying that FISA spying on Americans and getting caught is unacceptable. I say the fact that these people have this much power is unacceptable. But we have a clip from uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene because she's been no no stranger to calling for the impeachment of the people that she thinks uh, need to be called out and impeached. Listen to this.
9: Joe Biden has deliberately compromised our national security by refusing to enforce immigration laws and secure our border, allowed approximately 6 million illegals from over 170 countries to invade our country, deprived Border Patrol of the necessary resources and policies sufficient to protect our country. And his administration has willfully Refused to maintain operational control as required by the law. He has allowed fentanyl, the number one killer of Americans between the age of 18 and 45, to overwhelmingly flood into our country and kill around 300 Americans every single day.
1: That's Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's calling for the impeachment of Joe Biden. She's called for the impeachment of Christopher Ray, And it makes a lot of sense to me. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Here's the phone number. It's 833-482-5337, 4 valdez And uh, let's go to some of your calls. If you don't mind, let's go to Frank in Akron, Ohio. Uh, WNIR, go right ahead.
3: Hey, thank you, Rich, for taking my call. Hey, being an next military guy and a uh, guy that took an oath to defend this country from enemies within and without, I agree with Green. You know, to impeach, yeah. Okay? Uh, Joe Biden and, and Ray and and the rest of the crew, okay. Uh, along with that, I want to bring up a topic about the UN, and this is verified. The U.N. are giving, and we have a bunch of Chinese nationals coming across the border and drug dealers and slave traders and uh, uh, other problems coming across the border. My reliable information says that the U.N. has given debit cards to individuals coming across the border. (laughs) And so we're going to have to use facial recognition everywhere. (laughs) And I'm a very unhappy camper to find out the UN is trying to, like, uh, uh, Ross Gross said, I'm listening and watching and listening to the collapse of the country in the sinkhole of uh, insanity.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. It really is, Frank.
3: Well, the plasma, you know what, and what's being done the plasma centers, what a racket that's going to be. And you know uh, I'm all for plasma because we all need it in surgery and and other healthcare services. But
1: yeah, well, we're getting a little over the place here. We're talking about the border. We're talking about uh, everything else that's on the table. But I, I get your point. Uh, it, it's it's a challenging thing, of course. I mean, the UN. This is what they've done time and again. They've always done that, right? If 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 there's a, a crisis somewhere, they're coming in to you know they'll help create the crisis and then they'll come in and help to alleviate the crisis with with uh, relief and aid and support. And, and again, I, I'm not a heartless person, so I'm not going to say, you know, today there was a four-year-old kid dropped over one of the border walls and uh, left there. Is injured, he was abandoned. And then when the Border Patrol went to go help him out, they were shot at. They were taking fire for trying to go help this kid, four years old. So, I, I mean, clearly it's a crisis. And, you know, who is any of us to tell... You know, the UN that while you're creating this problem, we're not going to give you the ability to help them out with with um, with a care package, with a debit card or whatever. I mean, worse has happened here in, in New York City. Right. I mean, a couple of years ago, people who were being released from Rikers Island. Listen to this. They were the jail in the Bronx. They were being released from jail because of covid. And when they were being released. They were being given a a little bag that included uh, a prepaid cell phone and a debit card, and if they agreed to get the vaccine, they were getting two tickets to the Mets game. I mean, what a deal, right? You get out of jail and you get a debit card. It's literally better than a get out of jail free card. They're actually paying you to get out of jail, Frank in Akron, Ohio, WNIR. I appreciate it. We're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
5: Thank you rich and thank you for everything i know you very well and i have i listen but i have a lot of people that listen and they love your show and i appreciate it very much
0: america at night with rich valdez
2: they want to institutionalize lockdowns they act like this worked when it did incredible damage throughout our, our country, I mean, look at like Florida. Our unemployment rate's two point six percent. New York is four point one. Why does why is the gap? It's it's part of it's the taxation, and the, yes, but part of it was the lockdowns. You know, it destroyed parts of the economy, and so the idea, and it didn't stop the spread. So so the idea that we would even be entertaining that going forward is absolutely crazy. And so I think that we need to make sure that we say. Fauciism was wrong. Fauciism was destructive, and we will never let Fauciism take root in this country ever again.
1: That's Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida, uh, talking about his um, achievements in Florida and uh, speaking down on Fauciism, which might as well be called medical fascism. But uh, interesting how the population in new york after the pandemic dropped by five percent and the population in florida has gone up considerably and so have the real estate prices i've been looking at to try to get a place over there let me tell you not easy all i do is look (laughs) it's hard to pull the trigger on anything but we're going to get to your calls on on all, all of this stuff let's go to doc in wilmington delaware W D E L. doc go right ahead
3: my amigo Rich, a wonderful show once again. Very informative and very educational.
6: You educated me once again. I got to ask you something. I'm I'm, I'm reading this off the, off my device and off the TV screen here, and off and off your show. Um, your I want your comments on my comments on my reactions. I think Governor DeSantis is our best hope right now to beat uh, President Biden whoever the nominee is in 2024 because of his
2: ideas and his youth and his leadership. I don't. I'm not against President Trump. I'm a Trumpster all the way live. I simply think the man is too old, okay? I don't think he's divisive or
6: anything else, but here's the danger of of Governor DeSantis and his comments about Trump in the call to the national meeting. I want your comments on this. If he alienates alienates the Trump base,
8: which is rabid in their support of President Trump, I think Governor DeSantis could cost himself the election. What do you think, Rich?
1: Yeah, well, I think you've just answered your own question. Uh, The the first thing I'm going to say is what I've been saying all along, and it is I do not believe that Ron DeSantis is running for president in this election. I do believe that Ron DeSantis is prepared to jump in at a moment's notice, and he is running as if he's behind, and he's ready to jump in. But Ron DeSantis has no plan on running for president right now. He's laying the foundation for a future run, and should anything happen? You know, I mean, again, this is politics, and politics is, you know, a month in politics is a long time. Think of what we were talking about a month ago, right? It was Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. We're not so much Ukraine today. Things change very quickly, very swiftly. So I think DeSantis realizes, uh, and I think rightly rightly so, that Trump is not a guy you want to run against, right? You just don't want to. You don't back down from the challenge, but you don't want to run against Trump. The guys is a, a machine. So, and he's got an amazing base, and you've seen the polling. Trump is is crushing him too Three times, right? Uh, three to one. So I think it, it's it's not wise. It's not a good uh, politically savvy batical, battle. Excuse me to get into. Now I do believe uh, a lot of people might say, "Hey, I like I like Ron DeSantis," um, but I think you know Trump is already here. He's tried. He's tested. He's true. So DeSantis is 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 a smart politician, and he's saying, "Look, I'm I'm weighing my options." Should the moment come? You know, let's just say for a moment now they bring more indictments in, I don't know, New York, uh, Georgia, here, there. And instead of the the response we've had, right, we look at the response of the last indictment, Trump raised money, he he, uh, got more traction on True Social, he got, everything happened after that indictment, and it was all good for him and good for his campaign. But should something happen where, People no longer want to hear from Trump where you know where he goes to CNN and nobody watches his town hall. I think DeSantis is ready to swoop in for the kill. Now, to say that Trump is too old, I don't see any signs of old. I see a guy that's 75, 76 years old and he runs circles around most people younger than him, let alone people his own age. Uh, again, tried, tested, true. So I, I think Trump has the ability to bring in more of the Republican base and galvanize more Republicans than any other Republican out there. I can't see um, many Republicans getting around any singular candidate that isn't Trump at this time. And I think the polls indicate the same thing. So I think DeSantis is, again, testing the waters. Um, If he needs to get in, he's going to get in. But, uh, and I could be wrong. You know what? Every day I hear tomorrow, the DeSantis people are ready to go. They're ready to file the paperwork. You know, Tim Scott just filed his paperwork today. Uh, but again, and I don't know Tim Scott, but if I had to guess, I'd say, um, you know, I think it's a competitive process. And if you want to be in the game, you got to get in. I I don't think that getting in, um, later is beneficial. Maybe it is for some, you know, the Biden strategy, maybe getting in at the tail end and then just having a very robust, very short lived campaign. But I don't know if that's the case because you need the name recognition. And DeSantis is getting a tremendous amount of national name recognition. And he's got, you know, um, a lot of things going from in Florida. However, I think he would alienate Florida. I think there, I don't think there's many people in Florida that are like, you know what, uh, yeah, many campaign operatives that are like, hey, run. I want to be on the campaign. But I don't think many voters in Florida are like, we want to lose one of the best governors we've had. I don't think that's the case. I think they want DeSantis there uh, to finish this term. He was just reelected um, earlier. So I think that's that, personally. I don't think that uh, DeSantis is is the way to go. And I could be wrong. Listen, the Cuban guy who makes my coffee, he tells me, he's he's like, look, I'm a Democrat. I grew up in communism and I don't like communism, but I, I, I respect the Democrats this is what he tells me. And he says, I would vote for Ron DeSantis, but I would never vote for Donald Trump. And he was upset with Trump's trade war on China and how that affected his trucking business, which is now non-existent. And now he's a restaurant owner. So he feels that you know, life was better when he was a trucker and he couldn't truck anymore because of the, the trade war. You can't win them all is what I say. But uh, I still think uh, DeSantis is the main man for 2028. And I think Trump is the, the guy to beat right now. And that's just the way I see it, Doc. Thank you for your call. Wilmington, Delaware, WDEL. More on your calls and everything else right after this. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. It's Open Phone America. And we're going to North Carolina, Iowa, and throughout the rest of the country right when we come back. All right, America, welcome back. By the way, there was a 30-ton shipment of explosive chemicals that's gone missing in California. Just in case anybody was wondering, they did lose a 30-ton shipment of explosive chemicals in California. Uh, I don't make up this news. I just read it. (laughs) That's absolutely insane. Uh, They're also charging a 17-year-old with murder after providing fentanyl to a classmate, and the classmate died of what they're calling an overdose, but we all know this is fentanyl poisoning, right? It's not that they took too much. The Stuff kills people. That's the bottom line. Uh, earlier this week, we had a couple of our friends from Seattle on the program, both um, Jason Rance and Ari Hoffman, and um, Seattle has been named Dog Poop Capital of America. Uh, so... There's that. (laughs) And uh, here's another interesting one. A German surgeon was fired after getting a janitor to help him with an amputation. So imagine, you know, you're there, you're conducting your surgery. You're like all sterile, you know, rubber gloves up to your elbows. And you're in there, scalpel, scalpel. scalpel. And then you're like, oh, you're passing me the instrument. So let me, uh, janitor, come, come here quick. Just hold him down for a second. He's giving me a hard time. Absolute Insanity. That this is anyway, this guy got fired. And I guess that's uh, rightfully so. And uh, there was another story here. Oh, here's the big one. Joe Biden has agreed to train Ukrainians on how to fly the F-16S. Now, is this the precursor to him saying, all right, we're going to give him some planes or he's going to have the Polish that have some of those planes, maybe give them uh, we'll give them to Poland and, you know, that same deal we were trying to pull a couple of months ago. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe we'll bring in one of our general friends to help us figure that one out on Monday. But boy, this sounds kind of crazy to me. Now, I want to get to your calls because I know you guys have a lot of great opinions. And this is what I love about this part of the show where we have this national town hall forum of a conversation that goes across the country. Let's go to Iowa, right smack dab in the middle of the country, KCPS and Burlington, Iowa, and check in with Pat. Pat, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez.
10: Hello, Rich, for, uh, first-time caller and uh, new listener, and I guess what I'm going to talk about, I don't know if your screener told you, I'm running an hour behind okay. on your show and how it's aired it. here. <laughs> um, Welcome. You were talking about, you know, you worked, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. Oh, yeah, night, yeah, my morning.
1: Dunkin' Donuts I experience. I did the same
10: thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> only it was waiting tables, and I enjoyed it met a lot of interesting people, but I'm very outgoing, so it suited me well. Um, but I've also baled hay, detasseled corn, and wow. kids today don't want to work. I'm not all of them. I'm just saying, yeah. and even some of the older, uh, I'm a custodian now. I've left my chosen profession. This is kind of my retirement So job. you're
1: working as a custodian. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been summoned by a doctor to help with an amputation?
10: That I have not. <laughs>
1: okay, no, because I've just read a story that said that the guy called a custodian over and said, hey, help me with this amputation, and then the doctor got fired for doing that. I thought that's just insanity. But, okay, so you're you're a hardworking woman, and um, that's great. That's great. You're right. I think that there is a—first of all, I want to say this, right? Um, I look at my, my children. I have a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old. They're both, uh, you know, months away from their birthday, and so about to be 22, about to be 18— and i remember i thought i was the coolest guy ever when i bought myself a car a 1989 pontiac grand am and i thought man i have a car i'm no longer on my bmx bike i have a car i'm cool you're not cool cuz you don't have a car now i look at my 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 children's friends at high school you know contemporaries and and they have they're not just getting a car like their first car is like a only a few years old, BMW. And I didn't know these kids came from wealthy families. They don't. These are just regular high schoolers that are all in their senior year, leather interior, sunroof, just all sorts of really nice cars. And it makes me think, um, what are we living in a richer America? Are we doing that much better? Uh, Are people just overextended on credit? What is going on? Um, They're getting money from somewhere. And you're right. I I know they don't work as hard because my other daughter during the pandemic, I remember she told me, she said, oh, my God, dad, they sent me all this money from unemployment. And she's like, how do I send it back? (laughs) She was nervous. And I said, I don't think you're supposed to send it back because they're about to fire you because everybody has to stay home from work. And she didn't like that idea. But she said after when her job said she could go back, many of her friends chose to continue with the program. And um, they didn't want to go back to work. And she said some of them stay out of work for two years. So I understand when people were getting paid very handsomely to stay home, it made a lot of sense to stay home. But Pat, um, you're right. It, it's just not what it was. Uh, the, the hard work and that work ethic isn't there. But I think it can be if we allow it to be. I think we've just also kind of uh, accepted it as,
10: oh, you don't want to do that? Don't do it. Well... Yes, and of course every generation wants their children to have it better than they did. Yeah. And I worked that's all true. through high school and I bought my own clothes. You know, if me I too. wanted nicer things than what my I come from a divorced family. It was just my mother and me. And, mm-hmm. you know, she couldn't buy me the designer clothes or new things all the time. I mean, she bought me school clothes when it started and new shoes. And I, you know, kind of needed to make do. And when winter rolled around, you know, I was supposed to wear the sweater that I wore last winter. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I was I'm in like, the same no, exact I no, I don't really boat. want to do that. So I worked. And
1: Right. And it's great. You work and you buy stuff. <laughs> you save money. You buy stuff. You, you, you produce, right? You become a productive member of society in high school. I did the same exact thing. I eventually opened up a business in my senior year of high school because I, I enjoyed it so much.
10: But on the flip side, I didn't want my son to have to do that, and he would be the first one to tell you I spoiled him, (laughs) and that can backfire, because at one point, we were not getting along well. He wasn't wanting to follow the rules, and he proceeded to tell me that I had spoiled him, and I could keep right on doing that as far as he was concerned. (laughs)
1: <laughs> He's like, hey, I like that you pay my bills. I like that you cook me food. I like living here, so I'm good.
10: <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah. That. This is all working out for me.
1: <laughs> I don't think I don't think you're unique in that, Pat. I think I've done the same thing with my kids. I-, I I got both my kids a car when they turned 17. Um, because you know, nobody got me one and I had to get my own and I remember what I went through. And, you know, my oldest daughter, she was like, I'll pay you back. And I said, I don't want you to pay me back. And she insisted on paying for half of what I spent on that car. And she paid me half of what I spent to the penny. Um, my, my younger daughter, different situation. She um, she didn't offer to pay me half. <laughs> and, and, she, um, and also the insurance is so much more with her. It was uh, just a different time. And the way inflation's hit, it seems like there's inflation on auto insurance. Man, the things I go through with cars... But Pat, I think you're right. The work, the work ethic has changed, but I do believe you're, you're spot on. It's us. It's us as parents that have kind of changed part of it. Uh, I think it's also society that's created this. You should have a very expensive Italian handbag, but you really shouldn't even have to work. And you can become an Instagram influencer and make millions of dollars in five minutes, and that's just the American way. And I don't know if that's real or not, but I think this is why there are so many people out there that say, well... Americans don't want to do it. So we need immigrants to do it. I don't even know if that's true either. I think people would take the work if it was available. Uh, we just, I think we're losing our hunger.
10: Well, it is to a point and I have, I'm 62 and I have said this for years right now. Of course you are spending a lot of money for your groceries, but five, 10 years ago, you didn't want to spend $7 for a carton of strawberries. Because they don't pay them what they would have to pay a U.S. citizen. Right. And, you know, we don't want to do it for less. It's not a summer job that they want. I mean, it's hard to even get kids anymore to detassel corn in Iowa, the corn right. state. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> So, well, thank Iowa. you for taking my call. Oh, I my pleasure. I just wanted to, you know.
1: Yeah, and I, I appreciate. Your- not
10: what it used to be.
1: Yeah, and I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your insight on it because it, it's kind of got me thinking, you know, how much of this am I responsible for with my own kids? So a little introspection, self-reflection uh, never hurt anybody. So thank you for that, Pat. I appreciate it. And thanks for joining the program and calling the show. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S.
1: And we're going to South Carolina WRNN. Great station, by the way. Let's go to Z. Z, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey,
9: how's it going, Rich?
1: Wonderful. Thank
9: you. Good. Hi, so I was listening um, on my way home from work, actually, um, and heard you talking with Pat from Iowa and talking about the generation's work ethic and You know, us not wanting to do, I'm a younger person, by the way. Yeah, I'm talking about
1: Gen Z in particular, but go right ahead. Right. And
9: so I work with a lot of Gen Z, Gen X, Gen everything people in my workplace. And I do see a lot of the younger people, the 16, 17 and 18 year olds. Yeah. Come in and they do their work, but they do it just enough. They do it. (laughs) enough to get bypassing and that's normally because they have so much focus on the other streams of income that have become available because of covid and even before that with streaming and whatnot you know everything got much more popular during covid with the online stuff crypto and Mm. all that but there's so many different ways to make money out there you have no problem supporting yourself by staying at home whether you're building websites or opening a Shopify store or selling on Amazon. I mean, the, the possibilities are literally. Excellent point. Endless.
1: So where am I yeah. Going very go good shop? point. And Come you know what, as you're saying it, uh, I'm I'm just thinking of, you know, uh, my, my own kid. I know she likes uh, expensive sneakers and I'm always fighting with her. I'm telling her, stop buying expensive sneakers. Just save the money, buy a regular pair of sneakers. But um, I know whenever she feels like it, there's a whole like cottage industry of sneakers where, you know, people wear them for a while and they take good care of them and then they sell them for almost what they paid for them because they become rare. And again, it's very entrepreneurial and I was a young entrepreneur, but I wasn't selling sneakers. I was cutting hair, but it, it just, uh, you're bringing up a good point. There is a new economy out there where you don't have to leave home to actually make some money. Excellent point. Z.
9: Right. And, you know, it's not even just about the leaving the home thing, because you can do that work from anywhere, sitting in a coffee shop, uh, just hanging out, but still getting paid to do it. I actually have some online in- income um, that I don't even have to pay attention to just shows up either once a month or every couple of weeks, depending on. Do you do any drop shipping? I used to. I did that for a couple of years. I did mainly around when school time would come in. I would post a lot of school supplies um, and use my online store to push that at a cheaper price. I would get it from sites like Alibaba, things like that, and Mm -hmm. for pennies on the dollar. And And were you stocking
1: this stuff yourself or was it just a straight like they pay you and then you, you buy it and then ship it?
9: So what I did was I paid for all of the stuff, but it was shipped to Alibaba's partnership warehouse. So I never had to have any product with me unless I ordered it to do online videos to showcase it, to try to advertise it and my store a little more. So I could have 500 items in my store, but only have maybe three of those products in, in my hand, being able to mess with it. The rest of it is just seamless. Your customer orders it off your site. It goes to the drop shipper. It gets shipped to the customer.
1: And what what type of margin were you working with, with that?
9: With the school supplies, it was a very good margin. I'm not too good with the percentages of it, but I was getting the pencils for five cents a piece and I was selling them for 50 cents a piece. So that's 45 cents per pencil. And I was selling thousands of those, um, thousands of folders that I would get for 10 cents and, sell so for a dollar.
1: Um, nice. So you, you said you used to do it. Why did you get out of it? Because I'm hearing a lot of young people, uh, and by the way, when we say young how old are you?
9: I'm in my 20s.
1: Alright, so you're in your 20s. And why did you get out of drop shipping? Did you find a better hustle?
9: I just didn't want to do it anymore,
1: honestly. There's no other reason
9: <laughs> other than I got lazy with it, and I didn't care about it anymore, and I just lost the want for it. I got what I needed from it and figured there was other ways to do it and left.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, listen, brother, Godspeed to you. I think that's fantastic. The reason I'm asking so many questions is because I I just had a conversation earlier this afternoon with a buddy of mine who was um, getting into a dropshipping business. And, uh, you know, I I wished him luck on it because I I know it, it works for a lot of people. It's not that easy, even though you're not physically maintaining everything in inventory yourself, it's still work. And, you know, it's, it's still a business that you're running. And, uh, you know, so I thought, I said, it sounds like a lot of work, but sounds very rewarding at the same time. Uh, but excellent. Outstanding Z. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm glad you were coming home from work and, and listening to the show. Obviously you have a tremendous work ethic and uh, kudos to you for being a young guy that's out there uh, doing what you do. And I appreciate that. We're going to go to the rest of your calls. we got more from North Carolina, Ohio, and Eugene, Oregon coming up. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez.
1: Let's go to David in Sunset Beach, North Carolina, WRNN. Welcome, David.
5: Well, thank you, Rich. Um, we were listening earlier about the immigration and the border, and I got to mm-hmm. thinking, and uh, something I think I've heard for the last 10 years is there's about 12 million undocumented illegal depending on how you want to phrase it. But that seems the number that gets kicked around all the time. So I I just kind of penned it out on paper. And if there's 12 million people that we've got to address and we take 10 minutes per person, that's going to take, uh, that's six an hour. So that's 2 million hours. (laughs) And if you divide that into days, that's 83,000 days. So that's 83,000 man hour days. And if you split that out into years, that's 228 years that we have to spend on this. And if you divide that into 50 states, that's over five years. If everything shuts off today and there's really only 12 million and I don't have an answer and I'm not trying to get into the politics.
1: Great way to highlight the problem.
4: to really put
1: legs on it. Right. And also you got to think there's currently a 10 year backlog on immigration adjudication, right? For immigration judges and whatnot. So when you put all of that together, you're talking about 228 years to solve the problem. If we did it in every state, you know, all hands on deck, um, that wouldn't even be the case. Right. It would still have to there's still a 10 year backlog for for immigration judges to hear these cases. So that adds, you know, maybe 238 years, if you will. That It's just absolute insanity, what, what's going on. And I, I love the way you kind of broke it out, because it makes a lot of sense that this is a problem that isn't going anywhere, because it's not a problem. People often say it's an invasion. It's not an invasion. It's really an invitation. Biden invited everybody here. Let's quickly go very short. I'm sorry to do this to you, Cara. Eugene, Oregon, KGAL. Cara, you've got like 45 seconds
10: Hi, thanks a lot. Well, right around 1972, uh, the, in the back of the land movement, long-haired hippie types, <laughs> the uh-huh. young folk would go on up and pick apples in Oregon and Washington. Also, nice. And and, uh, and also down in Arcata, California, where I used to live, uh, they stopped uh, letting people other than Mexican people and Asian people pick flowers and stuff. Oh, that's Everybody interesting. Knew so were...
1: only immigrants are allowed to pick apples. Remember, you have to eat four apples a day, according to our guest earlier, to be healthy. Anyway, Cara, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Call us again soon. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, have a great weekend, and we'll do it all again on Monday. I'm Rich Valdez. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June. Hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge Seasons 1 and 2 of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.